scripture this morning is from Galatians chapter 3 and verses 1 to 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please pray with me as we begin. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning to believe you. Father, I ask that you would cause your spirit to help us to see what you have done through Jesus on the cross, to bring us a spirit, to give us blessing, and that we would respond in faith. God, I ask uh, that we would be lifted up to see you exalted, that we would love you more because of what you have done, that you would be exalted in our midst, and that your spirit would be seen to be present here in your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my name's Brent. I want to welcome you here this morning if you're, well, for all of you, but especially if you're new, welcome as a guest. We're glad to have you. It's my pleasure to bring you the word this morning. And as you may know, we've been going the last little while through the book of Galatians. We've started a series. We're just marching our way through book by book by book, or or verse by verse by verse, rather. And uh, we've come, though, to today. And today is the moment in time where we take a pause for the Advent series, which is going to come up the next four weeks. So this will be the last uh, message in the book of Galatians until January. But we're glad that you're here. We're excited to see what God has for us. And significantly for me, uh, this means that I've been here as next, starting next week, I'll have been here for six months. And uh, I'm just so thankful to be here. I wanted to just rejoice with you guys. Praise God that, that I can be here and, and worship with you. I, I love it. Heather and I love being here. We're so thankful for all of you. Um, so that being said, as we jump into the text, I had a kind of a, a, a thought experiment or a question to put to you. What would it have been like if after all of our space age advances that we have every day, we experience the benefits of those technologies, if then we got word that SpaceX and Virgin and say the Russian and European and Chinese and American space programs all thought, you know what we need to get ahead? You know what we need to go the next mile in our uh, pursuit of technology and advancement? We need to embrace steam technology. We'll just go backwards, and, and we could have these really cool spaceships with steampunk design. And we could, I thought I'd get a laugh. No steampunk design laughs? Okay, steampunk designs. But the reality is, could a guy with a shovel, right, just kind of 
putting the coal into the oven really outdo rocket fuel, right? The answer is no, I don't think he'd do a very good job. But we might ask ourselves also, what would actually happen? What would be the negative consequences of embracing steam technology? What would we, what would we come to? How would that look for us? What would we lose? So we'd lose the ability to put satellites into orbit, right? We couldn't get into space anymore. And if we lost satellites, we'd lose a lot of things. Ed Morris, the executive director of the Office of Space Commerce, he said this. It's kind of cool that there's an Office of Space Commerce, actually. And uh, anyway, he said this. He said, if we lost our access to space, it'd be like this. If you think it's hard to get work done when your internet connection goes out at the office, imagine losing that plus your cell phone, plus your TV and your radio, your ATM access, credit cards, and possibly even your electricity. As all these things depend on space. And of course, goodbye Google Maps. I mean, that might be enough to just like crush all of us as it is. And of course, beyond that, goodbye to sophisticated weather prediction, right? We, we lose our, our 10-day forecast so long to that. And we back to the days of the 1920s when Wilhelm Bjerknes worked with mathematical formulas to produce painstakingly by hand for six weeks of time a forecast for one region in Germany for six hours. And it was horribly wrong. The thing is, it's funny, but after we've experienced all this modern technology, it's really frightening to think about going backwards. And if anybody tells you, hey, let's embrace steam energy, be like, no, that's crazy. You're obviously some part of some freakish little fringe group, and I won't have anything to do with you. <laughs> Doug's a, the steam guy here. <clears throat> so why do I share all this? It's not theoretical. I mean, it's theoretical to do that for sure, but I think that we're tempted to do this. I think that we're tempted to do it spiritually all the time. We're tempted to believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf was fine to start with, but it won't really get the job done as our lives go on. We need to move off of the gospel, move our hope and our faith in Jesus and what he can do alone for us and move it somewhere else. We put it on the latest Christian fad the latest book, the latest program for, for something in my life, but move it away from Jesus. But in moving our hope off of Jesus exclusively for our salvation, we're abandoning rocket fuel for steam. And for the Galatians, that's exactly what was happening in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, and what Paul wants to show them in this passage. So let's back up a little bit, though, because we've not just jumped into this one passage. We have all the context that came before it. So let's remember what we've been learning. Well, over the last two weeks, Fred has shown us through Galatians 2, uh, 15 to 21, that our right standing before God is founded completely on the merits of what Jesus has done for us. We are justified. We're made right before God only by placing our faith completely in what Jesus has done that we could not do. To be clear, Paul's hope is not in the law. It's not in his ability at, at any point in time or in any way. His hope is that by faith alone, in Jesus alone, God now looks at Paul and considers him righteousness because of what Jesus has done for him. His hope is that God has even more than that. Now given Paul this relationship with him such that Jesus takes up residence in Paul's life. So Paul now responds in love to the God who loved him, has the spirit of God within him, and the way he lives now is no longer Paul living. It's Jesus living through him. Paul says that 
very clearly and beautifully. This is a text to worship at in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the gospel that Paul's been talking about. But even though the Galatians had heard this message from Paul, they were wavering. As Jewish false teachers came to them after Paul had left that area, they began entertaining the teaching of the false teachers, saying that, that maybe, we should, maybe we should step backward in time. Maybe we should rely on works of the law. Maybe we should give up this glorious hope of the gospel and embrace something less. Maybe we, should, maybe we could complete what Jesus did by our works. Maybe we could really add to it. Maybe it's not quite good enough. Maybe by our own effort, we can improve things a little bit. And Paul is clear, that is not the case. And then in Galatians 3, 1 to 9, what we're coming to now, Paul puts a point on all of this by showing the Galatians that the cross, that the Spirit, and that the blessing are theirs only through faith in Jesus Christ and not by works of the law. So this is our outline this morning. By the gospel of faith alone in Jesus alone, the Galatians were cross people. You see that in verse 1. They were spirit people. We'll see that in verses 2 to 5. And they were blessed people. We'll see that in verses 6 to 9. So cross people, verse 1. Spirit people, verses 2 to 5. And blessed people in verses 6 to 9. And Paul makes it clear that to entertain works of the law as an alternative to faith alone in Jesus alone is to embrace steam and to give up rocket fuel. So look with me at our first point, at the way the Galatians are cross people through justification by faith in Christ alone in verse 1. Paul writes, <clears throat> O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I think Fred has given me all of the yelling texts in Galatians so far. And I, I don't know, I feel like it's a bit of a forced good cop, bad cop thing. You know, at my expense. I know that's true, Fred. Or maybe you're just punishing me for the mustache. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's what it is. Anyway, but I, I'm not, I don't feel punished. This is an awesome text to preach. Um, but Paul's astounded here. And he, he says, who's bewitched you? And I love for him that the only logical explanation for what the Galatians were doing was that they're bewitched. It's almost like he got off of some, maybe like a Harry Potter binge watch or something. And he's like, those guys are under the imperious curse, right? Like they're obviously not in control of their faculties. Somebody else is moving them this way. And he's being sarcastic. But what he's getting at is that their actions are the epitome of foolishness. The Galatians should have known that works of the law, it's not going to benefit them. It's not going to help them. And why should they have known that? They should have known it because of this. Because Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified to them, and they'd received that gospel message. And the cross destroys every human attempt to justify ourselves before God. It knocks down the ladder of our efforts to climb up to God by our own good works. Because it's at the cross that God, in human flesh, pays a penalty that humans could never pay. It's there that he earns the blessing that we could never earn. And this isn't a theoretical thing for the Galatians. They'd seen the preaching, they'd heard the preaching, and Paul says it, it was really punchy to them. Look at verse 1. He says, It was before your eyes that this happened. 
It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. But what does that mean? What does it mean that before the Galatians' eyes, Jesus was portrayed as crucified? That's kind of a strange statement, isn't it? Was it that there is a play, like a passion play, like you've seen maybe in church history? No, it wasn't, it wasn't that at all. It was that, it was that Paul had preached to them the gospel, and it was vivid to them. It was vivid to them because Paul's preaching of the gospel wasn't just a retelling of some obscure history to them. It was the retelling of the gospel of the central event in human history that was then carried along by the Holy Spirit of God and applied to their hearts. So they were given faith to see that it was true, that it was for them. And in Galatians 4, verse 4, Paul says it this way in terms of the central event of all of history. He says, But when, note this, the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. The gospel takes a flat timeline of human history with hash marks all the way along, right? And it turns that into an X on its side where all of history coming to Jesus flows down into him and all of history subsequent to Jesus flows out of him. He is at the center. The gospel is so important and so meaningful because it is the culminating story of God's plans and purposes to take a world in death and brokenness. We see every day when we read our newspapers and in sin, and to turn it into a world that is alive in Jesus Christ. Starting with people, but moving out of the people into this world itself. That's our hope. But as amazing as this is, the preaching of the cross is central for another reason. It's central and it's vivid to the Galatians because it is deeply personal to them. It's personal because it's at the preaching of the cross. It's at the cross that we as individuals come to understand the extent of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Right? We see this in Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or in 1 John 4 verses 9 to 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation is just a, a word that we use to talk about the way that Jesus is the punishment for our sin, or he took the punishment for our sin upon his shoulders. And it's personal to us because this isn't an abstract thing for those who believe it. Because the preaching of the cross comes alive for the Galatians and us and for you as we see with the eyes of faith what God has done through Jesus and what our effort could not do. As we see a Roman cross in AD 33 with Jesus on it and his blood pouring out of it as a forever declaration of his great love for people like you and me, for sinful rebels. It's vivid. And Paul's clear, to be a cross person, or even as we'll see, to be a spirit person or a blessing person, there's only one way. You must receive the cross by hearing with faith, not by works of the law. Look at verses 2 and 5. And we're going to talk about the spirit, just kind of gloss over that, but we're going to camp on the end part here right now. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. That's the important part. Then in verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So what is hearing with faith? 
It's obviously important. This is the way that the gospel became so vivid to the Galatians because they responded with hearing to the gospel, but also with faith. So it's not just hearing, right? It's two things. It's not just hearing on one side. It's not just faith. It's hearing with faith. There's a combination. It's not just an information download about gospel truth, right? It's not just an understanding of what is true, though of course that is the case, but it's then a coupling of the truth of the gospel with genuine faith or trust that grabs hold of us, that grabs hold of our hearts so that we bet our lives on the salvation that Jesus has accomplished for us and that, that we could never accomplish ourselves. So hearing with faith is like this. Um, I don't know if you've seen the video, but it's like the professional slack liner who set up his slack line across that uh, 64 meter gap in the North Gully at Squamish. It's 290 meters up in the air, so it's way up high, right? And he went and set the world record and went across it. Now imagine if you were up there with him, and you're sitting on the edge, and uh, he's really showing off. He's going across it. He's coming back. He does it a few times. And he, as he jumps off the slack line and, and looks at you, he says, so do you think I can do this? And you say, yeah, I, I think you can do it. I've seen you do it. I understand theoretically. I have information and experience that you can do this. But then he asks you to marry that informational response to the truth that he can walk across the slack line with trust. <clears throat> and he says, okay then, how about this? Why don't you climb up on my back? Why don't you climb up on my back and we'll put that, that, that informational response to, to work and see if there's any trust in it. But Paul knows this. He knows that the Galatians did that when they heard the gospel. He knows that they saw what Jesus had done and what they could never do and that he had earned a salvation they could never attain. And they saw that, that he had borne the wrath of God that they could never pay but owed. And they climbed up on his back and they started out across the line. <clears throat> but the problem that we're at here and the way that the reason that Paul's addressing them is that they'd now come to the midpoint of that line. And they were thinking to themselves, you know, Jesus, you've done a pretty good job so far. Well done. But if you don't mind, I'll get off and do the rest myself. Right? If you don't mind, I'm just going to climb back off of here, and I'm going to finish this trek across this chasm on my own strength. And Paul's concerned, because he's concerned that, that in their foolishness, they would fall to their death. That in their foolishness, they would give up what they can't do in trusting in Jesus, and they would rely on their strength, and they would fall to the ground and die. They would lose out on all that he'd accomplished. You don't hitch the donkeys, as Paul said last week. Not Paul, Fred said last week. You almost got canonical there, Fred. You don't hitch the donkeys to the Ferrari to make it go faster, Fred told us. You don't. You don't improve on Jesus' works by your own effort. You don't add little happy clouds to the Mona Lisa and improve it. And you certainly don't live by steam power in order to advance into the next age of space exploration. And you never, ever, ever ought to leave the gospel of Christ Jesus. In the words of Tim Keller, Keller, he said this about the gospel. So the gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it is more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, but to the, the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. 
That's the truth of the gospel. And it's by hearing with faith that the Galatians responded to this vivid public portrayal of Jesus Christ and him crucified and the preaching of Paul. And it's how they became cross people. But it's not just that. By hearing with faith is also the way that they became spirit people. So let's look next at our next point in verses 2 to 5. They're cross people by hearing with faith in the gospel, but they're also spirit people. Look at 2 to 5. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And Paul presses pause here because he wants to know. He asks them, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He wants them to give him an answer. Did God start working in you by his Spirit? Back when I preached the gospel and you responded in faith. Or... Did God start working among you when you decided to get together, march down to your buddy false teacher's place, and get circumcised? It's, it's that, it's that, what's the word I'm looking for? It's that awful as of a comparison, of a juxtaposition. That's not how it happened. The Spirit came to the Galatians through hearing with faith, period. John Stott said it this way. He said, they, the Galatians, had trusted in the Christ exhibited in the gospel. So they had received the Spirit. They had neither submitted to circumcision, nor obeyed the law, nor even tried to. All they had done was to hear the gospel and believe it. And the Spirit had been given to them. These being the facts of their experience, Paul argues, it is ludicrous that having begun with the Spirit, you should now expect to complete with works of the flesh. That's a big deal. But the arrival of the Spirit in human history through faith is a bigger deal. This is what we're talking about. It signals the Spirit's arrival, the Spirit present in this church, in the churches of God throughout this world, signal that a new age of power has broken in on human history. One of the really important texts for us to see this is in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 27, where God promises in that text is a text that came a long time before jesus but he promises in that text that one day soon he would fulfill all of his promises and he said in ezekiel this he said and i will give you a new heart and a new spirit i will put within you and i will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules This new age of power by God's spirit didn't start when the Galatians observed different laws in addition to faith in Christ, but when they originally placed their faith in Jesus. And what happened then is that God, in fulfillment of the promises of this text, poured out the spirit on them so their hearts of sin, their hearts of rebellion, the hearts of hatred and greed and bitterness and murder and strife were changed to hearts of love for God. We're changed to places, uh, a heart that was this heart that desired to obey God and to follow his laws and was equipped to do so. They were transformed. But there's more than that here too. Because the Spirit isn't just this thing that, that, that performs a work in our hearts. The Spirit is the evidence of God's love for us. Romans 5 verse 5 says it this way. 
says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's Romans 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the Spirit of God is really the presence of God in his people, showing and testifying to his love for his people within them, showing that they have been adopted as his very children, crying out in our hearts, Abba, Father, as we respond to God now as our Father through the Spirit he's given us. But there's more still even than this. Because the Spirit of God is also the guarantee that the resurrection power of Jesus is at work in us now, but that it will continue and it won't stop. Look at Ephesians verses 1, 13 to 14. Sorry, chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. And Paul says there, he says this, We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's a down, it's a down payment. It's like down payment on the house. It's, you know, the first transaction, but a lot more is coming. Sorry, guys, in Vancouver, that's a lot for you. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, a little bit now, the guarantee of much more of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That means that the Spirit is the evidence of God's work now in a life and a world of death, producing life, changing us and moving in us, but starting here now, but moving out until all things are made new. Because life by the power and the presence of the Spirit of God, once begun in Jesus' resurrection, then comes to us in the church as we believe in Jesus and the Spirit's given to us, and then moves out of the church, we know from Scripture, into the renewing of all things, as all will be resurrected and made new to the glory of God. He says in Revelation that he is making all things new. Paul's really pressing the Galatians here. He said, you've experienced some of this. You've got some of this. Now tell me, how did it happen? Did it happen by following those laws that these false teachers want you to, to go along with? Or did it happen when you believed in faith and the gospel? When you believed and responded in faith to the preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified? Don't you dare go back to steam power. And so through faith in Jesus, the Galatians, they're cross people. They're spirit people but they're also blessed people. So Paul's going to build off the idea now of faith in verse 5, and he's going to introduce a new idea to us about the blessing that we have through faith in verses 6 to 9. And he's going to do this by resorting to one of his favorite Old Testament illustrations, the, the, the story of Abraham. And we're going to cover these verses somewhat quickly right now, but be encouraged. Paul's going to camp on Abraham for a little while. So we're going to go through some things quickly now, but uh, when we resume in January, we're going to have a few weeks talking about Abraham and the blessing that was promised to him and then given to us through faith. But look with me now, though, at Galatians 3, verses 6 to 9, to see the way that through justification by faith, we are blessed people. And I'm going to start in verse 5 because 6 starts kind of abruptly. Does he who supplies a spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So what's the connection here? Why does Paul 
follow up a discussion of the spirit with a discussion about blessing and Abraham. What's happening? Well, it's because the presence of the spirit is the evidence that we, that's all of us here, I think, or maybe not all of us, most of us probably in this room, who are non-Jews. The evidence that we who are non-Jews are heirs with Abraham of the blessings that God promised him. The spirit is the evidence that we who aren't Jews are heirs along with Abraham of all the blessings that God promised to him. And Abraham, Paul just loves to point this out. And Abraham, he got those blessing promises, not because he got circumcised, not because he followed some laws, but because he believed God, because he had faith in God as we have faith in Jesus. So we need to recognize, I think, too, as Christmas is coming, and as we were Christians in 2018, removed a long ways from this, is that, that the story of the gospel didn't begin with the gospel stories. Right? They're, they're fulfilled, certainly, in Jesus. But the story of the gospel begins much before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because the promises of God are made to people far before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And to steal a little thunder from one of Fred's coming up Advent sermons, where he's going to preach our, our favorite Advent text to us, the genealogy in Matthew. Is that your favorite Matthew text? It should be. Fred will, Fred will make it your favorite Advent uh, text. But they, the gospel writers, they understood that these genealogies gave us something incredible. Because they show us that the genealogy of Jesus traces back through all of God's promises that were given to these men and women along the way, beginning at creation and moving through different people and then landing fully on Jesus as he fulfills the promises that God had made. So to see this, look at Luke chapter 3. Verses 23 to 38. And don't worry, we will not read the whole text. I just want to highlight some of those names for you. Because I want you to understand that at each of these points in history, the Bible has incredible records of God's gospel promises to these people. The gospel started, that promise started with a promise given to Adam and Eve. Then it moved through Noah, and it goes through Abraham moves through Judah and the Davidic line, and it lands on Jesus. Because he's the only one who can bring the redemption that God promised. He's the one who brings resurrection to a world that is dead in sin and rebellion against God. He's the one that breathes life in a world of death and darkness. But the story doesn't end with Jesus. Because of him, we're still on this trajectory of salvation and resurrecting power that will continue. We're still looking forward to the fullness of the blessings that were promised a long time ago because God's not finished. What he preached beforehand, did you notice that in the text? They preached beforehand this gospel to Abraham. What he preached beforehand in the first half of the Bible, he started to bring to fulfillment in Jesus, but he will continue to fullness as all things are made new. So one day we stand in a world without sin and death, stand in a world without any problems of any kind in the presence of God, loved by him, living our lives with him. Now the problem, though, that, the, that Paul addressed in Galatians was that the Jewish false teachers who were troubling the Galatians, they'd singled out just one stop in that genealogy. They loved Abraham. And they loved Abraham because he was the father of the Jewish people. But they had a wrong view of Abraham. Their view is that God blessed Abraham and made promises to him because of his works, because of his circumcision. But Paul 
like a good, you know, playback of some sports event, Paul pauses the tape and he rewinds it and he shows the Galatians the slow motion video footage of what really went down with Abraham. He shows them that Abraham was a recipient of the promises of the blessings of God, not because of his works, but because of his faith. Because he believed God. He took him at his word. Verse 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and as, we can infer from that, as an appropriate heir of the blessings. And God's blessing is what he promised to Abraham, but also to us when he preached the gospel beforehand to him. Look at the way that, that he promised the gospel all the way back to Abraham, not just to him, but also to us in Galatians 3 verse 9. God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you, okay, that's Abraham and all his family, shall not just the Jewish people, but all the nations be blessed. All of us who are not Jewish in this room. And the questions facing the Galatians is this, How can the nations like them join in the benefits of the blessings of Abraham? And the false teachers are saying, you can get those benefits. You can grow in Christ. You can can get them truly by works of the law, by circumcision. And Paul's saying, no, it's by faith, because it was by faith for Abraham too. Look at Galatians 3 verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. That's us. Those of faith trusting in Jesus are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He didn't say the man of works, the man of faith. And as a result of our faith in Jesus, which is like Abraham's faith in God, we then are immersed in this incredible stream of God's redemptive work and promises of blessing that began at the beginning of time that are fulfilled in Jesus and that will continue to the end. That's our hope. That's our blessing as we have faith like Abraham had faith. But to sum it up, Paul's concern in this passage, his concern for the Galatians, was that they were playing with fire. They were playing with this idea that they could improve on what God had done through Jesus. That they could add to it somehow. But in doing so, they would be exchanging that rocket fuel of the gospel and replacing it with this pitiful steam energy that couldn't do anything. And they're wrong to give up on salvation by faith alone and to try to, uh, and to add to what Jesus had done with the gospel is to go back to an era in time when the spirit wasn't present, when the fulfillment hadn't come, and when they were not who they are now as recipients of God's blessing by the spirit. So as we close today, here's the question I want to leave us with. This is where it gets practical for us. If you were a Galatian, if you had received the preaching of the cross so vividly, if you'd experienced and you'd, trans, you'd, you'd been transformed by the presence of God's Spirit working in you, and if you knew that you were a recipient of the blessings that God had promised to Abraham, then why would you be tempted to move on from that? Why are we tempted to move on from the gospel? I think it's because we're impatient. Isn't that right? Because being cross people, being spirit people, and being blessing people, it's a long slow burn and requires us to patiently place our trust and our faith in Jesus day after day for the long haul. Knowing that as we hold on to him in faith and the spirit works in our lives through everything that comes our way, that that's the only way to really be transformed. That's the way that God is making me no longer a sinner, no longer who I used to be, but making me somebody different. 
making you somebody different, making you look like Jesus, with Jesus alive and living in you, by holding on to him in faith through thick and thin. You know, the problem, though, is that this is a relationship. And like any relationship, it takes work. You can't reduce it to five easy rules for growth and for change. I can't read a book about five easy rules for my most intimate friendship and hope that 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 little set of rules will now cause me to not have to spend time in relationship. That I can kind of duck out on relationship and just follow a rule book and I'll have the answers and I'll clean up uh, my life and and, uh, navigate through all the mess. So when it gets hard then, and when suffering comes and we hit rock bottom in our lives, if someone walks up to us in the midst of all of that with a plan for spiritual transformation in just five easy steps, we're pretty prone to, to look at it. We think, you know what? Maybe that's better. Maybe that's how I can really be changed. Maybe I'll just do that. I'll be like the Galatians, and I'll, I'll move off of Jesus' back and onto the rope myself, and I'll start making my way across. Because I have control then. It's within my understanding. I can get a grip on it, and I can abandon Jesus. It's a lot easier than steadfastly reading my Bible, than praying, than serving in the church, than encouraging brothers and sisters in the gospel, and being encouraged by them in the gospel, and worshiping Jesus with them, and loving them, and sharing Jesus with others, and serving God to the best of my ability in whatever situation he's placed me in. That just seems messy. To live that life of faith following Jesus just seems hard. Why do I want to do that when, when I'm suffering? Is there an easier way to grow in the life of blessing, of knowing God by his spirit? Paul's saying clearly in this passage, he's saying there isn't an easier way. There is no other way. But he's also saying that's a good thing. Because like a formula in place of a real relationship with my closest friend, any method to spiritual growth that takes my faith from Jesus and places it somewhere else will never replace knowing God deeply. It will never replace treasuring his cross, delighting in the transformation of his spirit, and living with him in faith and the blessings to come as I endure the suffering. This is why Paul asks him, did you suffer so many things in vain? Because he knows that the Spirit of God is working through them in that suffering. He's saying, are you going to give up on that? Are you going to leave that? We become impatient, I think especially in our suffering. But it's through the suffering that God shows his patience with us. As he works deeply in our lives to make us like Jesus. To change us to be like him. You know what I want... What we need more than anything is to have a faith that is rooted deeply in Jesus. That holds on to him, not for the beginning segment of that tightrope, but through the middle and to the end. All the way. You know, in John 6, 64 and 66 to 69, Jesus said this to his disciples when they were on the verge of walking away from him. He said, just like Paul's been saying to us in this passage, it is a spirit who gives life. That's where life is found, in the Spirit. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
They put their faith in Jesus as the one who had the words of eternal life and who could save them. They trusted in him. And you know what? We need to know this wasn't a cop This wasn't a, oh man, it's, it's the only thing we got. I guess we'll just stick with you, Jesus. This was a, you have the words of eternal life, of redemption and blessing and the spirit transforming power to raise the dead and to bring a world in sickness and pain and suffering to life. That was what their faith was in, in Christ Jesus. May ours be the same. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would cause us to realize that there is nowhere else that we can go to have this life. God, I ask that you would give us endurance to hold fast to Jesus in faith. That we would believe you. That we believe your gospel. That we would see Christ Jesus on the cross with his blood pouring out as a forever testament of your love for me, for us. That we'd be transformed by it to love you in return. To have your spirit empower us to live for you, to be different people in a world that is so desperate for something new and life-giving. Oh, Father, that life is in you. Help us to hold on to it in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.